Today we begin our Advent series. Christmas. What's the point? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us, a child is born. And to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. Someday, the government will be on his shoulders. Can I get an amen for that, okay? All right. (laughs) And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Today we begin focusing on Christmas. It's that wonderful, magical time of the year when you come into church and you hear the Christmas carols that we're about to sing. And some of you just, it was the best day of the year so far, right? In our house, you know, we, we typically, I, I, I try to push it back to Thanksgiving, although at Halloween, sometimes these Christmas carols are sneaking in already, right? Um, but it's that time of year when we focus on what's coming. We focus on the advent or the coming of Christ. And the big question this morning is, what's the point? What's the point of Christmas? This is a, a great question for us to ask, uh, not just now, but also in general. What, what's the point? You ever been to, you ever been to a, a, a church and you, you had a pastor get up in front of the church and he got to the end of the sermon and you were like, hey, uh, what's the point? Um, I mean, you, you probably never heard that. I, well, you may have asked that here. Yeah, that's true. You've heard, you've asked that here, right? What's the point? Have you, have you ever had one of those conversations with somebody where they tell you a story and it goes on and on and on in your head? You're thinking, hey man, what's the point? <laughs> have, have you ever had a, a, a situation that you didn't quite understand and you didn't really know what God was doing in that moment and you kind of sat back one day and said, hey, God, um, what's, the, what's the point of all this? So you think it's important for us to step back and ask this great question, what's the point? And throughout this, throughout this series, I just want to simply ask, what's the point of Christmas? And before you jump to the end of the sermon outline, which you can, the point is Jesus. Yes, that's the answer. Okay. Um, but I want to unpack that throughout the series. And this is the way that I want to do it. Because we as a church have been listening for the voice of God through, uh, through the Bible and through prayer for the entire year. If you're new here this year, this is, we've had one big theme for the entire year. And we're going to finish it out here in December. We're going to listen for the voice of God once again, specifically through scripture. And what I want you to see in this uh, series is that specifically the entire Old Testament points to Jesus. The entire Old Testament points towards Advent. Christmas, what we're about to celebrate. And so for some of you, this is going to be really helpful because you don't like the Old Testament, right? You're like, I, I can deal with this Jesus guy, but that whole Old Testament, I got a problem with that God back then, right? And so this whole series is built to help you understand better that that entire Old Testament was pointing to one moment, one man, and his name is Jesus. 
And so that's the big idea. The big idea, or what's the point this morning, is simply this. The whole Bible points to Jesus. The entire Bible points to Jesus. I, I got this cool Bible. As you know, many of you know I collect Bibles. I got piles and piles of them. If you ever need to borrow one, come on over. Um, I got Bibles in different languages. I got Bibles that are old and new. This is one of my new ones. Um, this is the Jesus Bible. And this came out uh, about a year ago. Louis Giglio, uh, pastor of a little church down in Atlanta, Georgia, a little like 10,000, I think. Um, he, um, just like us, right? Okay. And he um, he put, helped put this together. And what he did throughout this Bible is that on each and every page, wherever it, it, it sort of seemed like it was insinuating something about Jesus... Wherever there was a story that could point to Jesus, wherever there was a a verse or a passage that hearkened unto Jesus, they noted that in the margin. And so as you read along in this Bible, there's all these little, little, uh, inserts that say, oh, oh, this, this whole thing about Nabus Vineyard. Well, it's about blood being poured out, which was uh, a precursor to Jesus dying on the cross. You, you turn here and you say, oh, suffering. Oh, suffering in the Old Testament with Job. What's the point of suffering? Oh, that, there, that, that God himself was going to suffer someday. Judgment. What does judgment have to do in, in the Old Testament? And how is Jesus ultimately the judge? A very neat Bible. I would encourage you to uh, check this out if you're looking for a new Bible. This is a great one. Um, and every single point that they're trying to make in this Bible with everything they have in the margins is pointing you to the simple fact that the whole story, the whole book, it all builds and points to Jesus. And specifically, the Bible in the Old Testament points to Jesus in three roles. Three roles. These three roles are prophet, priest, and king. The 4th century writer Eusebius of Caesarea was considered the father of church history in the 4th century. And he recognized that Jesus fulfilled three specific roles or offices that were foreshadowed throughout the Old Testament. He, he looked at church history and he looked at the Old Testament scriptures and he said, boy, there's three real specific things being foreshadowed in the Old Testament that Jesus makes fresh and new and alive in the New Testament. And they are that Jesus is a prophet, that Jesus is a priest, and Jesus is a king. Or better yet, that Jesus is the prophet that Jesus is the priest and Jesus is the king. And so as we build to Christmas, I'm going to spend three weeks talking about prophet, priest, and king, the foreshadowing of Jesus in the Old Testament first, prophet. Prophets are interesting. I don't know if you know much about prophets. We don't really have a lot of prophets in our day and age. We haven't had anybody come into town and go, Hey, I'm a prophet. And I'm here to talk to you about repentance or fire is going to come from the sky. We haven't heard that very often in Big Sky, I don't think, right? Um, maybe if you grew up in uh, a little bit more charismatic church, right? Um, you may have talked about people having prophetic gifts, being able to um, foresee some things in the future or, um, or have some sense of what God is saying in the present moment. Uh, but this idea of prophet can be uh, a, sort of a complicated um, subject. And so I just want to unpack what the, the really the view of a prophet or the callings of a prophet were in the Bible. They're very simple. The two callings of the prophet in the Bible were, number one, to listen for the voice of God. So church, we've been, we've been prophetic this year. 
And that's cool. We've been prophetic this year, right? We have been listening for the voice of God. And that is the first and foremost thing that prophets did. They were the ones who were listening for the voice of God. They always had their ear to the sky. They always were listening and listening and listening. God, what do you have to say to us? What do you have to say to us? What do you have to say to us? And as a church, that's what we've been doing. And and although our theme of the year is coming to an end, I don't think we should ever become a church that doesn't listen for the voice of God, right? I think we should always be a church that listens for the voice of God. I think that's who we are supposed to be, both corporately and individually. That we would listen for the voice of God. Not that we would do religion. Not that we would show up and try to be better. But that we would actually just listen for the voice of God because He speaks through His Word to us. And so, Old Testament prophecy, listen for the voice of God, and that wasn't the hard part in their job. The hard part was the second part. And the second part was this. They would then speak on His behalf. They would speak on His behalf. So they'd say, God, what do you have to say to me? And then they would speak on His behalf. And this, my friends, is terrifying. And did not end well for many of them, right? Truthfully, um, I do a little bit of this every Sunday, Right? Again, this is why preaching is terrifying. Yes, Nielsen, last week, he was nervous, right? And rightfully so. And every single week when I get up here, I'm nervous. And I do this thing in the afternoon. It's called sermon coma, where I just like fall apart in a chair somewhere in the corner and everybody leaves me alone because I'm worn out, right? And I can't explain why I'm so worn out, but there is this certain sense, even in this morning, is, is that I, I want to be a conduit of what God has to say to you this morning. Each and every morning, I, I would much rather you hear the words of God than the words of me. Right? God has infinitely more to say to you than I do. Uh, he knows you intimately. He knows every detail of your life. He knows what you're going through, what you're struggling with. He knows what your joys are, what your sorrows are. He can speak directly into that. And if you ever had a moment like this in church, I bet you have, where you're like, how does he know? It's not because I know, right? It's because God knows. And see, this is a, a terrifying part of, of both the work of a pastor, but uh, more, more so in terms of a prophet. Um, because the central message of the prophet was was often very, very difficult. Right? I, I, I feel very encouraged to be able to um, love you and encourage you and remind you of things and teach you in really tangible ways. But there were two main messages of the prophets that were um, exceedingly difficult for them to share. Number, And they were these two things. They were, the central message of the prophets was to repent and to return. To repent and to return. So the prophets in the Old Testament typically they would they would they would get a word from God. Oftentimes they're kind of kind of weird folks. They would hang around in the wilderness or the desert, and and then they would come into a town. And, and what they usually would do is they would say, "Hey, um, God has seen you, and He has seen your wicked ways, and He is calling you to repent and to return." To him. And so you can imagine how this message may have gone over sometimes with certain crowds, right? 
I mean, I think we think it's bad sometimes in our current day and age, but if you read, uh, if you read a little bit of the Bible, you realize we may not be that bad off, right? There's some bad stuff going on in the Old Testament. There were, there were people back then who were sacrificing their children to this God named Molech, right? And they would take this child that they just had and they would throw them into the fire. We don't have that going on in our culture, do we? Right? That's, I mean, that's, that's crazy, right? And, and so you have these people who are worshiping Baal and Asherah and, and Molech and they're sacrificing to all these gods. And then this man of God would come into town and say, Hey, you need to stop it. You need to repent and you need to return to the real true God. Oftentimes there was these great um, sh- signs and show- showings of power that these prophets would come in. That they would, they would, something miraculous would happen in the sight of everyone so that um, God would reveal himself and show himself in a powerful way. Um, but because of that, uh, often it didn't go well, right? Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. If you want to read a real, real encouraging book, read Jeremiah and you'll feel better about your life, okay? But Jeremiah basically went to the people and said, repent and return to God. Repent and return to God. And they wouldn't and they wouldn't and they wouldn't. And God said, you got to just keep t- preaching this to them. Pre- keep preaching this to them. Keep preaching this to them. And he, he preached to them and he wept and he preached to them and he wept and his heart was broken and broken. And then he died. That's how the story goes. Okay. Right? There's no like happy ending in Jeremiah, right? You can look at all the Old Testament prophets and they would go into towns and they would say, listen, you're worshiping things other than God. You need to repent and you need to turn to God. And that sounds like a, sort of a crazy message. <laughs> um, except it's the same message for us today, right? We need to repent and turn to God. We need to repent and we need to return to God, church. We need to hear these prophetic words of old, new and fresh. See, uh, we come to church and I think often we come here thinking, oh, we, we need to get it all right. Like we need to put on our Sunday best. We need to figure this out and we, and we need to get better. We're here for um, just, you know, some soul work and, and we're here to get a little better. And, and, and we just, you know, we believe in that deity, but it's more about just, uh, you know, having better manners and things of that nature, not saying certain words, not drinking certain things, not, you know, not walking certain way, like... And that's not actually the message of, of Jesus. And that's not actually the message of the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets would say, it's far worse than you think it is, church. It's far worse than you think it is. Within your own soul, it is far worse than you think it is. In a world that tells you that you are actually inherently good, the Bible says you're inherently evil. From your mother's womb, from the moment you were conceived... David would say in his Psalms that we are selfish, that we are greedy, that we are broken, and that we are in need of a Savior. And see, church isn't about getting our stuff together. Church is about being repentant. Right? Who come, oh, how, how can I be a part of this church? Hey, you just need to be repentant. You need to recognize that there's brokenness and sin in your own heart. And, and can I be honest with you? Jesus said it this way too. If you don't think you need Jesus, then you probably don't belong here. Can I say it that strongly? Like, if you, if you are like, I've got it, Brian, go for it, man. 
and then I'll see you a year from now. Because you'll realize you don't, right? And many people will go through their entire lives and then they stand at the foot of death and they, they're trembling and terrified because they realize, I didn't have it the whole time. And the simple message is repent and return to God. You don't need to get it right. All you need to do is come humbly with sorrow in your heart so that you may be restored. Some famous prophets of the Old Testament. You'll know some of these guys. Moses. Moses was a prophet to Israel. He went into Pharaoh. He said, let the people go. And they fi- he finally does, right? And they wander around in the desert for 40 years until the whole generation uh, that was in Egypt dies off. And then they go into the promised land. And, and the thing that Moses did throughout his entire ministry was just to to ask the people to repent. They would get out into the wilderness and then they would complain and say, Egypt was better. We had food there. And he would say, listen, you need to stop that. You need to repent. You need to return to God. And he will send you manna and he will send you quail and you will be okay. Hey, but what about the water situation? Right? We don't need water, Moses. Listen, stop being disobedient. Listen, turn to God, repent to Him. He'll provide water for you. This is what He does. This is who He is. He provides for you, right? And over and over and over again, Moses calls his people to repent and return to God. And in his last days, he says this, The Lord your God, Deuteronomy 18, 15, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. Jonah. Jonah, the word of the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah says, as you know the story, no thanks. <laughs> right? And he heads in the very opposite direction. He goes to Tarshish, which is in the exact opposite direction. I don't know about you, but maybe God has said, go here, and you may be gone there. Anybody, you know, you you done that? Okay. You're just like Jonah. That's okay. You're in good company. But then God says, hey, guess what, Jonah? I'm still going to get you to Nineveh. So while you're on that boat, we're going to cause a big storm to happen. And because of that storm, they're going to throw you overboard. And in the midst of that storm, there's going to be a giant fish. Fish? Yes, giant fish. And it's going to swallow you whole. And you will be buried for three days down in the depths, in the belly of the great fish. And just when everyone might think it's over for you, Jonah, after three days in the dark, after three days in the cave, will spit you out on the shores of Nineveh and you will go and proclaim to them, repent and return. And as the story is told, the, t- the, the city of Nineveh does just that. They repent and they return and God forgives. Elijah... Elijah is, is a bad man. I like Elijah. He's like my favorite prophet. Um, Elijah, he has this, uh, 
he has this moment where he, he, he rolls into town and he says, um, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. I'm in 1 Kings here, 1 Kings 18. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And I, I will prepare the other bowl and I will put it on the wood, but I will not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God. I'll call on the name of my God. And the God who answers by fire, He is God. And He goes beyond that, right? Because He likes to flex a little bit, right? And so Elijah, he goes, you know what? Hey, you go ahead and you do that. And so they're calling out to their God and He says, Hey, maybe he's uh, maybe he's sleeping. You better yell a little louder. And then he says, "Hey, maybe he's taking a bathroom break. You know, he's gone out to relieve himself. Maybe you need to keep calling." And these prophets go on and on and on, and nothing happens. And then Elijah says, "My turn. My turn." He says, "But before we we go, let's do this. Somebody dig a hole around this big old altar. Yeah, and let's let's fill that full of water." And uh, and then let's take some ceremonial jars and then let's pour those ceremonial jars over top of this altar and this sacrifice. Let's just make sure every single inch of it is soaking wet. And then Elijah says, God, hear my prayer. Boom! And all of it is consumed, right? And Elijah drops the mic. <laughs> and walks off, right? Um, 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 he's a bad, bad man. He shows up and miracles happen. He shows up with power and authority with a word from God. These are just three examples of the prophets of old. And, and what's the point? What's the point, Brian? What's the point? Get to the point. Here's the point. Jesus is the greater prophet. When you read these stories, don't... Well, I have this. I have these arguments. Like the Elijah story. Some people say, well, then Elijah said, go and kill all those people. Isn't, isn't that horrible? Like that God would say, go kill all those people. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. They're already dead. Do you understand that? They are already dead. People look at the Old Testament and say, boy, that God, he's, he's a little judgy and he's a little testy. He kind of behaves like a teenager with an attitude problem who can smoke people in a moment, right? No, no, no. They say, they say, hey, why does he kill so many people? My question would be, why does he save any? If we got what we deserved, we wouldn't get heaven. If we got what we deserved, we would not get forgiveness. And the point of it is this. Jesus is that greater prophet. So when he comes, it shouldn't shock us and it doesn't shock them that he says, repent and believe. Repent and return. It's not surprising that Jesus tells stories of lost coins that, that get searched for all day long. It's not, it's not surprising that Jesus tells stories of a lost lamb that the shepherd leaves the other 99 to get the one. It's not surprising that Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son who goes and spends all of his inheritance only to find out that he's 
made a very bad decision and repents and returns to his father. And there's this incredible moment in Jesus' ministry, this prophetic moment. He comes out of the wilderness after being tempted by the devil. He comes into town and he goes to the temple and he asks for them to take out the scroll. They bring out to him the scroll of Isaiah 61. So he, he, he takes out this scroll, Isaiah 61. Every eye is fastened upon him and, and he reads these words, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the cap- for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And every eye is fastened on him as he sets down that scroll and he says, Today, in your hearing, this is fulfilled. You can almost get the chills of that moment. You can almost get the sensation of that moment as every eye is fastened on him and everyone leans in to think, could this be the man? Could he be the point? Could he really save the captive? Could he really proclaim the year of the Lord's favor? Could he really bring good news to the poor and bind up the broken hearted? See, Jesus is the point. And and in this moment, he's saying, this is the moment you've been waiting for. It's here. It's now. Stop looking for it everywhere else. Stop searching where nothing will be found. Today, I am here with you. The way, the truth, and the life. And he's still speaking to us today. See, Jesus is still the prophet. And he's the prophet in your life. And he still declares these words that he has come. To bind you up if you're brokenhearted this morning. To proclaim good news if you're poor in spirit or, or your life is a wreck. He's come to tell you that even if you're the lost son or the lost daughter, that he is looking for you, he's searching for you, that he will leave the 99 for you. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the prophet. He is the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace. And he is still speaking to us.